anger, bitterness, all those things. As you go on in life, you realize they're choices. It's your choice to hang on to it. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it. From the good stuff like hiring and growing a team. To the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the Skim from a Couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? So in today's special live episode, we are excited to have Kathleen King, the founder of Tate's Bake Shop, with us in our Celebrate Smarter pop-up in New York City. Kathleen has been a lifelong baker who amassed a cult cookie following with her Tate's chocolate chip cookies that she started baking on Long Island. She has a lot in common with Carly, who has been a lifelong cookie eater. Um... (laughs) Now, it's safe to say Kathleen created a cookie empire, and in 2018, Tate's was sold to Mondelez International for $500 million. However, yeah. (laughs) However, the road to business and baking success was not always so sweet. Had to. Come on, guys. You got to work with me a little bit. Uh, And we'll get into that. Um, We're excited to talk with you about how you built this half a billion dollar cookie empire. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to Skimmed from the Couch. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm going to try to like contain my excitement, but this is such an honor. So we're going to jump in. My family is in the crowd right now, mortified. Uh, And we're going to jump in. Just skim your resume for us. Like how did, how do you become Kathleen King? Oh God. Um, You know, I I would just really say the main thing is um, perseverance, perseverance and um, not very emotionally attached We're going to talk a lot about that. Is that something that you can say now? Or when you think back on how you were, were you always someone that could persevere? I was always someone that could persevere. When you grow up on a farm, you know, you're raised a little bit differently. The minute you walk, you work, use two hands, God damn it. I'll give you something to cry about. Get up and keep going. You know, know, that old fashioned back in the day. (laughs) So there was never any room for anything but persevering. And thank God, I look back at my farm upbringing and I say, thank God, because otherwise I don't think I would have survived. So let's go back to the farm upbringing. I think sometimes we don't necessarily construct these interviews in necessarily a chronological order, but I think the chronological order of your story is so important. And so I I really want to take us back to that. So walk us through what was this farm life that you're talking about? And so what was your childhood? Yeah, well, born on a small farm in Southampton and... uh, basically lower middle class family. So at 11, I was told I had to bake cookies to sell at the farm stand because I was old enough at that point to buy my own clothes for school. So I was like, okay. And I started making chocolate chip cookies and selling them at the farm stand. And the business started to build. I was so excited about the joy that it brought people. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Mm -hmm. Did you have a recipe? Well, you know, the back of the Nestle bag, I, you know, I used that. I, you know, I was 11, so I kind of just measured like an 11-year-old would measure, and then they came out the way they came out, and I liked them. And then when I later learned how to measure, I, then I measured correctly. Was the idea to start making cookies something that your parents were like, you're 11, you could do this, and you can sell it? Or was this something that you had always had an interest in? Oh, no. No. I mean, I loved eating cookies. Yeah. And um, my mother didn't bring junk food home, and we were always allowed to 
cook or, and bake in the kitchen. So we learned early on how to do things like that. And my sister actually and her friend made cookies before me, like a year or so. But they turned 14 and they wanted to get a real job so they could meet boys and get off the farm. So my father said, oh, all right, well, you're going to start doing that now. When you say that it started doing well, was it that people really like Nestle cookies or was it that people were responding to how you started actually incorporating your own spin on it? Yeah, they just really loved the chocolate chip cookies back then. They were like supersized before supersize was in and then out, thank God. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, because I wanted them, someone to be drawn to them for some reason. And so they were big and they were, they were flat and they were really good. <laughs> I used to bake them in the kitchen, look out the window, run outside to wait on the customer. So I'd be waiting on you. And then I'd say, I'll be right back because I have to go check my oven. Then I'd <laughs> run back in and then I'd run back out again. And then you'd say, what are you doing? What are you baking? Oh, I make cookies and I sell them here at the farm. So now you're an adult, I'm a child, and of course you say, I need to have some. So then I run back in and get them, and that's kind of how it all started. I mean, then you, I assume, turned 14. (laughs) Why did you stick with it? At what point were you like, I'm pretty good at this? I did stick with it. You know, I never really asked myself that question. Every year, I just sold more and more. And by the time I got into high school, I baked 10 hours a day, seven days a week in the summertime. And I was making good money. If I was at 11, had to buy my own clothes for school, then obviously I had to buy my own car and then I had to buy my own education. So where else was I going to make that kind of money? Nowhere. At what point did your parents notice like, huh, her little cookie thing is bringing in a little bit of money? (laughs) Well, what's really funny is when I started at 11, my dad said, well, we're going to buy all the ingredients and you're going to make the cookies and you can keep the, the money and then you'll work the farm stand. I was like, okay. And then a year or two down the road, he said, we need to um, rediscuss this arrangement (laughs) because the ingredients were costing so much money and I was in a 100% profit business. And and so he changed it and he said, then I always have to buy my own ingredients, but he would always give me free eggs. And to this day, I still get free eggs. Aww. So it keeps on going well. And then talk to us about when you decided to rent your first space. Okay. I went to SUNY Cobleskill for two years and took the restaurant management there. And when I graduated there, I came home and made cookies again in my mother's kitchen. Because again, like that's where I could make decent money. And then uh, she said, well, what are you going to do at the end of the summer? And I said, I don't know. And she said, well, you're not going to be able to use the kitchen anymore. My mother was a woman ahead of her time and very big on pushing and independent. She said, well, there's a bakery up the road for rent. You should check it out. I took the lease when I was 20 and opened up when I was 21. And And what was that like? I mean, I watch a lot of Netflix movies where someone opens a bakery. So I feel like in my head, (laughs) oh, I know what it's like. You get the keys, you look in the blank space, and then all of a sudden there's a quick change and it's a bakery. Um, I'm guessing that that's not what it was like. No, because their hair is done. They're not dirty. Totally. There's always a beautiful and colored. A ball skirt with an apron around it. Yes. No. You are 20 years old. And you're like, "Eh, it's no big deal. My bakery will be better. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say that I was a super confident young woman. But when it came to my cookies and stuff, I was like, yeah. I was like, that's not good. These are good. You know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then when I opened, it was crazy because 
I had to develop all the recipes before I opened up in May. I didn't really know anything. And at that time, when you say develop all the recipes, what had you been selling to that date? Just the chocolate only, chip cookies? Only the cookies. Yeah. That's all I could do with my mom's. And then I was going to just do cookies. And my dad said, I think you need, you know, to do some more things to, to make it. I was like, okay. So then I said, well, I'll just do, you know, brownies and apple pie, like very Americana, <laughs> very, you know, typical Americana baked goods. And, um... So I opened with like five or six different Americana things. And, you know, I worked 18 hours a day. I mean, I would drive to work. I assume you weren't the only person in this bake shop. Do you hire people? Yeah. I started out on my own. Then my sister-in-law, she came and she started helping making pies. And then I would slowly get another person to come work. So what was your business plan? When I'm listening to you talk, I hear... You're saying that you weren't a confident person, but you clearly were because you knew what you were really good at. There's external people in your life that are pushing you to take that step and being a forcing function for you, really. But you then have rent. Then, obviously, you start getting employees, family or not. How did you think about a business? I I didn't, truthfully. Um, I had no business plan. I was 20, you know, 21. What do you want when you're 20, 21? You want to get an apartment and you want a car. You know, that's all I thought about. Did, were you stressed about what you what you oh, didn't know? Crazy. I was stressed about what I was finding out. Everything was new. I mean, I was so naive. I was like, why do I have to pay taxes? <laughs> I was like, I don't have any money. How can they take money from me? Was anyone guiding you? Like, who was teaching you about taxes or about... Well, I would learn along the way, you know, and then I say, oh, I got to get an accountant. And I would hire people. And I was in shock because I, you know, I was like a baby workaholic. And I was shocked that people didn't know how to sweep or they didn't show up on time. And yes, I understand that. It, it was really surprising. So you've got the store. It's doing well. You're selling more than just cookies. When did you decide it was time to expand? Well, when I outgrew my um, location, uh, my mom again says, um, well, you know, there's a building up the road for sale. And I was 23. I was like, oh, right. She says, well, it doesn't hurt to call. I'm like, all right. And then, you know, I call up. The bakery still exists, and it was one of the most beautiful buildings in town, and calls out to be a bake shop. And I said, you know, I'm interested in your building, but you know, how much is it? And he was like, well, it's 350000 And that was 1983. But I'll hold the mortgage, and you put $50,000 down, and I'll hold the mortgage. I was like, okay. And I had 40000 saved. I didn't have the other 10. And I didn't know anybody with money. And I didn't know how to get the 10. But I knew I was going to get it I was because this was going to happen. And I knew I had to double my business in order to survive. And that was my business plan. Okay, I can do that. Sometimes I think this whole cookie thing was my destiny. Because this woman, my father used to help, that was on Hill Street. Her name was Rose DeRose. And she was a little eccentric. And she had chickens. <laughs> and she died. And she left my dad $10,000 while I was looking for $10,000. So he lent it to me. Wait, I got, that's a crazy story. I, so you just said that you, I think I'm loosely quoting that this whole cookie business was your destiny. Is that something that you think about now or at the time? Did you really believe in, I'm going to figure this out and somehow the universe is going to give me someone who died and left my family $10,000? Like, 
Um, it wasn't until like it was really all over that I said, my God, I think this was my destiny. And now my big question is, why? Hello, your friends from Skim HQ here. It's the most wonderful time of the year and also the busiest. We asked and skimmers told us they spend an average of 20 hours every winter prepping for the holidays. So we found a way to save you all some time. Introducing Celebrate Smarter Shop. We've skimmed the holidays and curated all the best products for you to give, host, up your travel game, and just de-stress smarter. Shop online today at shop.theskim.com. That's shop.theskim.com. Start shopping. I'm picturing you as a 23-year-old in the town, that, small town that you grew up in, were the other small business owners and members of the town looking at you being like, oh, that Kathleen, look at this cute little Kathleen growing up in her little bakery cookie thing. What was the reaction you got? When do you think it shifted to a respect of you as a businesswoman? Um, the community was always so supportive of me, really. Um, you know, and then it became like, oh, the farm, farm girl made good, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> when I opened my first bake shop, I was open less than one month and there was a half page article by Florence Fabricant from the New York Times. I didn't really know the impact of the New York Times. People said, are you ready for that? And I was like, well, what? And they were like, no, people are going to really be here. I'm like, really? When I think about it in other industries, if you weren't baking, you could say that a 23-year-old getting a half-page article in the New York Times and getting all these accolades and all this attention, it could go to their head a little bit. And I wonder, do you think the fact that you literally had to bake the thing every day and had those long hours that it kept you focused? I think, A, that kept me focused. Uh, my upbringing kept me focused. My family kept me focused because my father, all through every step, don't ever forget where you came from. <laughs> don't ever forget where you came from. And I also grew up in a family that we didn't have a lot, but my family was very generous and whatever they had, they gave and they shared and et cetera. And we were never impressionable people. When did you decide to bring on business partners? Um, well, that, you knew we were going to get there. <laughs> I, yeah. Of course. <laughs> By that point, then I was 40. It's 20 years in the business. You know, I wanted to explore life. I ended up taking on uh, two business partners, which was like the biggest drama and the biggest disaster of my life. We're going to talk all about it. Okay, Don't worry. Yes. But also the biggest gift because I would not be where I am today without that. So talk to us about these two business partners. Um, who were they? How did you end up bringing them in as partners? One of the guys was my accountant. I, he came just really to work for a month. So he ended up staying. And over time, like four or five years, when I was ready to make a move and somebody was interested in purchasing part of the business, he had always said, if you're interested, let me know. And I held my word. And then he brought in his brother, who I didn't really know. And I was still at 40, incredibly naive, and made a very foolish business decision. And I gave everything away <laughs> because there were two of them and one of me, and we were equal. So they were two-thirds, and I was one-third. Most of the time you go through life and you think of people the way you think, but that's wrong. You have to think of all the other ways, and I would never think that. So they obviously teamed up and then they fired me. So I want to slow you down for a second. So you sign the paperwork. Saw, yes. you, you now have partners. I now have partners and no money. So they obviously you're known for the quality of what yes. you create. Um, it's made locally. It's distributed. 
they got a space in Virginia. Is that right? Yes. So what happens when they make that decision? How, how do you voice your displeasure? What's that? Well, argument? I was fine with, okay, taking the business down in Virginia and expanding in there. And we still have the bake shop in Southampton, except the quality was terrible. And they used to always say, your pride is going to get in the way. And I say, the day you take your customers for a fool, yeah. it's the day you're gone. So then what happened? Then they stopped paying the local people. I would run the bake shop and then the money would go into the bank and then they would take it and, I don't know, not pay anybody. So then I started paying people and then they got angry. And so then they came up from Virginia and fired me. You got fired from a yeah. company called? Kathleen's Bake Shop. <laughs> what was that day? <laughs> shock and I think in a physical way and uh, I kind of mastered the dough and headlights look because I'm not a very reactionary and or drama person and you know I had to pack up my desk and they stood over my desk like you know like kind of like intimidation type thing and what were the employees thinking uh, nobody really knew what was going on it was kind of really a very bizarre time and then I just packed up my things and they escorted me out and then I drove home and you know I lived then in a little 550 square foot cottage and then the phone started ringing and people had already heard I had gotten fired and the papers and everything started just snowballing into this huge story. So in two years time roughly they drove that business with your name on it into the ground and I'm just going to say probably what we're all thinking. They sound like real assholes. And yes. uh, so I don't think anyone was surprised that they drove that into the ground. Yes. But I'm thinking about you. You've been baking for the large part of every day of your life for over 30 years. And while they drove that business in the ground, what did you do? What was your day to day? How did you mentally get through that really, really what I assume is a very dark point? Yes, it was very challenging because everything was in the newspaper and they had a process of trying to destroy me. First, they went into town, they passed out flyers, all the reasons why I needed to be fired. They tried to really ruin me. Um, they got an order of protection because they say they fear their lives because you just have to look at me to know how crazy I am <laughs> and dangerous. And... Uh, so they were cookie building monster. this. Cookie monster. Cookie monster, yes. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a good headline. They never used that. Um, so they were building up this whole story. And then the community rose up like a made-for-TV Hallmark movie. I'm you know, loving this. They picketed outside. Don't come into Kathleen's until she's back. There were billboards. It was crazy. So, you know, I chose to focus because I didn't realize how much the community really loved the store and respected me. You know, you do your thing and you don't know. It was like dying and looking down and seeing what happened after you died. It was like, oh my God. So I just chose, I said, you know, anger, bitterness, all those things. As you go on in life, you realize they're choices. You get the moment, but then it's your choice to hang on to it. And so I said to myself, okay, I can look at these two evil guys that are really messing with my life. Or I can look over here and that this whole community, all these people and people reaching out to me and sending me cards and all this kindness, I just chose to focus on that instead. For those that are listening, I think you are very lucky that a support system sort of came to you. 
But no matter what your professional experience is, we all have those low points at work where you feel either ganged up on or not heard, or obviously this is a very hyperbolic, dramatic example of what could happen. How do you advise people to say what they need, to say what kind of support system they need in the workplace? Stumped by that because um, what I needed was out of the workplace. Then I was more like what I needed really in life. My staff, they did come to my house and they were supportive. And I think for me, it's just knowing that somebody cares is really helpful. And I was also blessed with an amazing foundation of a family. So I used to say to myself, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, the worst thing that could happen, I'd be sick. Okay, I'm not, I'm not sick. I'm healthy. And the, uh, the second worst thing, I could be homeless. I'll never be homeless because I have a family. Okay, good. That's off. Then you proceed down and then it's like, oh, okay, things aren't so bad. <laughs> Good advice. So how did the next chapter start? Well, after um, six months of legal drama-rama with the partners, we settled and I got them out of the bake shop. I got the bake shop back, but I lost my name. And they continued on with Kathleen's Bake Shop. And I think within a year they were done and gone. And I then opened Tate's, which is my dad's name. How did that feel to lose your name? Uh, You know, there was so much going on then. It was all kind of surreal. So many things with them trying to destroy my name, all the different lawsuits. It was just another thing, uh, losing my name. Twenty nineteen has been a crazy year. Carly and I have been all over the place, traveling for the How to Skim Your Life book tour, meeting tons of people on the road. It's been awesome, and we've taken so many pictures along the way. So you know what everyone is getting for the holidays? Framed pictures from Framebridge. That's right. Sorry, I spoiled your holiday gifts if my family is listening, but the best way to share your happy memories with your family and loved ones is to go to framebridge.com and upload your photo. You can check out your item by previewing it in a variety of frame styles or select one of their best selling designs. Then the experts at Framebridge will custom frame your item and deliver the finished piece straight to you or anyone on your list. This all starts at $39 and all shipping is free. Become a gift-giving legend, that's what everyone wants to be this holiday season, by using Framebridge to give high-quality, one-of-a-kind gifts that you can order in minutes. Go to framebridge.com and use promo code SKIM. You'll save an additional 15% off your first order. Again, just go to framebridge.com, promo code SKIM. That's framebridge.com, promo code SKIM. So you start a rival cookie company. My obvious question is, was the recipe of the cookie different? Was it the same cookies? Um, No, it was a little different because now I had to compete against myself. And (laughs) so Kathleen's Bake Shop, we always made the, the chocolate chip cookies with half butter, half margarine. So the only thing I could do was make them now with all butter. I'm very yes. much a supporter of that. That sounds like a great business plan. You know? I think that was a great move. <laughs> so we, we need to add more butter yeah. to this. Yes. 
yes, I just started creating the brand. And my competitor, you know, in every store was Kathleen's Bake Shop and Tate's Bake Shop. And that was like surreal. I, I was just like, okay, oh, it's my new self and my my, co- my copied self. <laughs> You're like my rooting old self. for your old self to not do well. That's so weird. Crazy. You know? Did you have that kind of revenge fu moment where you're like, hey guys, enjoy my name. Here's my new cookie. Uh, no, um, I, you know, you could see where I what I would want. Of course, I really wasn't um, a revengeful person. That's not my nature. Uh, but the best revenge is to live well. No, think your enemy hates that the most so becoming successful on occasion i would think huh so you start tate's named after your dad yep it starts doing well the butter is working the butter is working then what is the business opportunity that comes the key point of the my kathleen's bake shop to tate's bake shop and the transition and kathleen's bake shop was a great brand but tate's was much different And the reason was because of me. And what I had learned through that whole process allowed me to be able to create a brand like Tate's opposed to Kathleen's. With Kathleen's Bake Shop, that was my baby. You know, that was a very emotional thing. I was afraid of confrontation. um, So if I needed to let you go, it would take me a month and I'd torture myself for a month. But by the time I opened Tate's, I was fearless, unemotional, and driven to succeed because I had no money. And I had to remortgage my bake shop to get money to start Tate's. I spent all the money I had saved at lawsuits, et cetera, et cetera. The partners left me in $200,000 in debt because they drove my profitable business $600,000 in debt, and I got the third of it, so that I owed $200,000. So I remortgaged the building and then started to streamline some of the products and really focus on just the cookies getting out there. My goal when I opened Tate's was to sell when I was 55. And how old were you when you opened it? 40. You talk about... One of the keys to success with Tate's is that you had no fear, but you also took the emotion out of it. Is that different to you than passion? Yes, much different. Much different. I always had the passion and the passion to do my best and do well and have integrity in the brand and the product. Emotion is that the what if, the, but I like it. I love, I love that, but that doesn't work there and that costs too much money. The new me was like, out. <laughs> when people say like, oh, you're being emotional about your work, you're damn right. This is my livelihood. That is emotional. This is how I pay my bills. Like this is where I spend mm-hmm. the majority of my time and energy. How do you reconcile the fact that, yes, this is emotional. You have other people's livelihood that you're responsible mm-hmm. for. You're putting all your energy into it, but you are working backwards from a goal that you stated, which was sell right. by 55. I don't think I would have been able to take the emotion out like I did to the extreme if I had not been what I always call dragged behind a truck, you know, for like six months. Um, Because that whole journey just extracted everything from me. Um, But I tell people, you know, when you're trying to make a, a decision in business, you have to ask yourself, if I take the emotion out, what's my answer? And that's your answer. It's what we do to ourselves that make everything so complicated. And I, even my staff sometimes, you know, it's something would happen in business that 
what is negative or challenging. And, and I would just be like, look, let's all just remember one thing. We bake cookies. <laughs> That's what we do. Okay? So calm down. Let's work in the solution. It'll all be fine. Because I felt like I had been through everything already. It was okay. And everything will work out. I love that. Okay, so Riverside mm-hmm. comes along. They are what? Riverside. Um, so, so I turned 55 back then <laughs> in December. And uh, in January, I put it on the table with a banker called TM Capital. And I was going to do everything right this time. So I hired a professional service that sells businesses. And we had the meeting with them, and they created what they called the cookbook, all about the business, and they sent it all over the world. And it started out with like 50 people interested, and then you narrow it down. In the end, they ended up a little bit of a bidding war, and Riverside ended up winning the bid, um, which they paid $100 million. And so I really sold to Riverside. And I then- When you heard that number, were you just like- this is a farm stand bake sale that worked out real well. (laughs) You know, it was really surreal. I really did not ever dream of, think of, expect. You know, when I said at 40, when I want to sell, I said, okay, I'll sell maybe like for 5 million or so. And uh, then the business grew beyond that. So I knew it was going to be beyond that. People had come in and offered us like 50. But I said, I'm going to pay professional and I'm not leaving a penny on the table because I'm doing everything right this time. And fortunately, I did that because I ended up getting double. And so Riverside comes in as a partner. Mm-hmm. They help you go national. Yes. Well, then Riverside came in the partner, and I stayed part owner, a minority owner. And I had said that I'm really out. And I did recipe development and some of the brand things. But I wasn't a day-to-day person. Um because corporate is very different from an entrepreneur. Um, and so that was would not have been a great environment for me. So I enjoyed the time that I had with them for the four years. And then after four years, you know, they continued the growth plan. We were growing about 30 to 40% a year. And they continued to maintain that. Their plan is to at least triple their money. So in the four years' time, then Mondelez made them an offer. And what's it like to go in now? weird. (laughs) Just like when you walk into your parents' home after you've like grown up and you go home and you have that like "Ah," feeling. And then the other part is I don't belong here anymore. What about the cookies? I love chocolate chip cookies. Um, And, you know, I still eat them. Do you bake them still? I do. I bake bake my my own at home now. Can I come by? Yes. (laughs) Uh, she's like, well, since you asked me on stage, say yes. <laughs> people ask all the time, ask us, how do I get a co-founder? How do I bring in a partner? What is your advice around partners? Well, that's... We, we are a unique thing, I guess. Yes. Um, in general, I don't recommend a partner because I call partnerships a marriage without love. And so they can be very challenging. Some work out beautifully like you guys are doing. and But in general, it adds another dimension of stress to your company. And it's like in a marriage, you both have to grow in the same way. And that happening is also rare. 
Sometimes we want to get a partner because it gives us a sense of security. So my feeling as always is hire great people. Hire what you need. Don't be afraid of people smarter than you. Like I surrounded myself with people way smarter than me because I needed that. You know, I needed that expertise. Never be afraid of of that. We're going to go on into our last segment, lightning round. We ask questions, you answer quickly. Okay. Okay. Uh, Well, we already know what your first job is, right? Yes. Okay. First call when you get good news. My first good news call? Mm -hmm. I was like 12 and someone ordered 10 bags of cookies. And I was like, wow, yes. And my father's like, can you handle that? I'm like, yes. (laughs) When was the last time you negotiated for yourself? I don't remember, actually. Have you bought Tate's cookies in the pharmacy, like in the drugstores? No. I have. Good. (laughs) What's the worst piece of advice you've gotten? Sign that contract. (laughs) What's your favorite baked good? Chocolate chip cookies. What could you be found doing on a Saturday afternoon? Cycling with my friends and then paddleboarding or kayaking. Are you pro, con, milk and cookies or do you have a different arrangement? I have never actually drank milk with cookies. Stop it. I know, now that I think of it. Really? That's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I just eat the cookies. (laughs) (laughs) Now cookies and ice cream. That's another story. Would you ever buy pre-packaged dough and make cookies from that? No. (laughs) Okay, and now that we've crushed Carly, that's a great place to stop. (laughs) Kathleen, thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you, congratulations. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 